Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, today I'm talking to Andy Lowry the CEO of realware.com. Andy, how are you doing? Good, Rich. I'm, I'm my pleasure. Thank you very much to uh, invite me on uh, the show. Yeah, no problem. So if you would just let listeners, uh, you know, it sounds like there's a hint to realware, but uh, let listeners know what realware does. <laughs> yeah, well, we're a wearable, as the name would imply. So it's not W-A-R-E, it's W-E-A-R, or wearable company. We build wearable computers. Uh, in particular, we build a wearable Android tablet, so it's a mobile computer that you wear on your head, or you attach it to a hard helmet, or you attach it to a ball cap, pump cap, uh, or you can just wear it without uh, any sort of other uh, accessory. So, okay, how big is the uh, is the tablet? Is it? I mean, it, it has to be pretty light, otherwise it'll weigh on your head, or it'll look weird. Yeah, it, it, bump into things. It, Exactly, exactly. It's, it's, you know, there's a lot of folks out there and, and to, to, to let users who are listening in and, and obviously uh, maybe not have a visual of this in front of them, uh, first start with Google Glass. So if you think about Google Glass uh, that had that little uh, heads up display that would float right in front of one of your eyes, you, you start there. Uh, but our device is very different than Google Glass from the aspect of it's much more rugged. So it's waterproof, dustproof. It has a much larger battery. And because of that, it weighs more than Google Glass did. And so instead of mounting it to um, some glass frames, some glasses frames, we mount it to helmets or, or hats, or we uh, use support of the head in order to hold the device. That way it's not resting on your nose and your, and your ears. And it's very comfortable. And even wearing with a hard helmet, you can wear it all day long. But by being able to expand the weight a little bit above other smart glasses um, products out there, uh, we're able to create a product that's uh, got a very, very long battery life, a very, very uh, strong processor, an eight-core processor by Qualcomm, uh, and just a whole bunch of other features that you just can't shove into that tiny little form factor. <clears throat> so what are the dimensions of the um, – how is it used literally by the user? Is it um, sit right in front of their eye? Can it be moved? I mean, you know, what's a few more details on yeah. how it looks yeah, and sure. where, you know, the dimensions? So if you, it, it's, it, you know, for the, for the users or for the listeners out there that uh, are familiar maybe with uh, Star Wars uh, analogies, right? It's sort of a cross between, there's a character that sits up in Cloud City uh, with Lando Calrissian called Lobot. He was this ball-headed guy that had this little U-shaped computer that ran around the backside of his head. And then if you combine that computer that Lobot used with the rangefinder from Boba Fett, so this is a little, you can do some hunting on, online and see these things. The rangefinder, which is a monocular display that Boba Fett would pull down in front of his eye when he needed it and then move it around out of his eye when he didn't need it. It's kind of a combo of those two. So the, so the, the backside of it is sort of a horseshoe. And, and maybe those that aren't familiar with Star Wars, hopefully if they're listening to Future Tech, they at least have some familiarity there. But if they're not, it's sort of like uh, Caesar's crown. Like if you think of the olives uh, that he would wear around the backside, it's a U-shape that kind of pins around the backside of your head. 
And then there's a boom arm that holds a small little micro display that floats right below your line of sight. So not in your line of sight, like some other products out there do, it's below your line of sight. So what it ends up looking like for you as the user is someone that has like a car dashboard that sits down a little screen that, that the screen, when you hold it that close to the eye is the equivalent of about a seven inch Android tablet. When you hold the Android tablet at the appropriate distance that normally you'd be holding an Android tablet. So about a seven inch Android tablet in equivalent size of screen, wide VGA display, but it sits right up like about an inch or an inch and a half away from the eye. And you glance down at it, you snack on information, you get a little bit of a work instruction or a video or whatever you want to see. Anything that you can run on an Android tablet that you would typically be holding in your hands and driving with your fingers. This Android tablet is in the insides almost equivalent to a typical Android tablet that you hold in your hands. But it has a small screen that I just described, and it's 100% driven by the voice. So it's a voice-driven system. So you can operate it in even very high decibel environments because we've got a bunch of microphones on it that cancel out all the noise and a couple of very proprietary algorithms that do great job at canceling noise out all the way up to 100 decibels in background uh, loudness, which is extremely loud. That's a jet engine uh, noise standing next to a jet engine. And you still wow. can tr control and drive the system using your voice. It's, it's, it's definitely the best voice system that I have in my life ever experienced uh, as far as the recognition, the number of languages, the ability to filter out noise. It's just that, that our engineers are, are the most talented engineers on earth in that one domain. Yeah, because it was confusing. You said it was a, a an Android tablet, but then you said it's a micro screen. So what are the dimensions of the screen itself? Is it like a half inch by a half inch or even smaller? Yeah, so, so how, the, how micro displays work, and, and again, think of these as little um, optical, um, you know, sites, if you will. They have an optic and they have a display. The display is a 0.33-inch display, and it's called liquid crystal on silicon. So it's backlit. They shine light through it. The silicon gets stimulated by some electronics from a nippy connection, and then it shines through an optic, and then the optic displays the image into your eye. So the optic itself is about, uh, you kind of called it, it's about uh, maybe a half inch or maybe a third of an inch uh, in both dimensions, in X and Y dimensions. And it gives you a screen display that's um, a little wider than it is uh, tall. But, but as you're looking at that little screen right underneath your eye, as you glance down at it, it's going to appear to be the size of a seven inch tablet, as you would normally hold a tablet about 20 inches from the face. Uh, versus just an inch and a half. <laughs> Interesting. So it's all voice activated. Um, there's no way that you can, by the movement of your eye, you know, uh, move the cursor on the screen or anything. Is that uh, a way of manipulating it that may be useful in the future? So absolutely. Uh, we are already looking and working with some partners uh, that have done a lot of great work in the area of, of controlling systems with your eye. But there is an alternative method that you can control now this device uh, with if you choose to do so, where you move your head. And so we can get a uh, mouse reticle, if you will, that will appear if you say mouse enable, the mouse reticle will appear and you can move your head around. And then versus um, driving it through the, the verbal commands, you can get the mouse reticle on top of a excuse me, of an icon or, or of the, the, the action that you want it to perform and then click through the different menus and screens. So, and then... Excuse me again. But beyond that, there, there's a whole bunch of uh, different 
input and output methods that you can use the device with. Because it's just, I mean, the reason why a lot of people, well, this is not an Android tablet. The thing doesn't look anything like a tablet. A tablet, you know, goes back to Noah's, you know, not Noah's Ark, uh, uh, Moses with the tablets from the mountain, right? And they're supposed to be square and they're supposed to be looking like a book. And, and I say, okay, you're right. Absolutely agree. It doesn't look anything like what you'd think of a tablet. But the reason why I use the word tablet is the insides and the operating system is 100% intact Android 6.0. And we change a very thin layer on the top to take all of the gestures, all of the swipes, all of the pinch to zooms, and we migrate those over to a predetermined set, fixed set of um, voice commands. And we have a, a mapping. So like if you're trying to do zoom, you do this instead. If you're trying to do a swipe, you do this instead. If you're trying to do a put, a point and click, you do this instead. So we have a, 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 a list of different uh, voice commands that will be equivalent commands to the actual hand gestures you would do on an, on an Android tablet. So it's extremely easy to use existing Android applications, existing software that you have out there, cloud connectivity. All of those things are 100% the same as an Android tablet that you would bring to work or that you might have at your house. All right. So I saw on your website, you have like a guy in a hard hat, you know, with this using it, but what are the use cases that uh, you see are most requested for this device? How is it being used? So it, it ranges and, and folks, uh, you know, aspire to use this device as being kind of the iPhone for the industrial internet of things. So there's this concept out there of connecting people data, machines, uh, GE uses something called Predix as a back-end platform. Another company called PTC uses a com uh, back-end called ThingWorks. And it's basically organizing all the information and machines and, and uh, procedures and things within industrial and enterprise places. And it could be very heavy industry like oil and gas or energy or power, or it could be very light industry, even bordering into retail like, uh, you know, uh, logistics and uh, you know, picking and things like that. And you'll find in a wide, wide breadth of different industry categories, lots of folks are starting to deploy Android tablets in the workplace. They're buying these Android tablets. They're building applications for these Android tablets because what we're finding is, is this dawning age, this dawning information age, we are applying the information age of distributed computing and, and, and very local right place, right time computing to more and more and more in applications out there in our world, in both our private world and our, and our work world. And so when you find a customer, when I find a customer that is already utilizing Android tablets, I only ask them one question. When your guys are out there working, do they need their hands? And if the answer to that is yes, then you should consider Realware head-mounted tablet number one. You should consider HMT1 as being the alternative to going off and buying a Panasonic or Samsung Android tablet. Yeah, it makes sense. All right. So, you know, people that work in many conditions need to use their hands. So, again, what do you have you watched people use the device in the fields? What are you seeing them doing? What kind of activities and what's their response? They think, oh, this is so really cool or is it hard for them to use yeah. it? No, no, it's we've been we have been blessed with an overwhelmingly a welcoming response and, and a very enthusiastic response across these industries that we just enumerated. Um, the number one thing that people are using this for that have a little bit of connectivity, so you have to be able to connect either through LTE, 4G, or Wi-Fi. 
But if you have a connection, a wireless connection, you can actually um, collaborate. So video collaborate with folks that might be a thousand miles away. So now imagine if I am a guy working on a um, electrical box that is on top of the cell phone tower. And I'm really, really trained up on antennas, but they've got me working on an amplifier today, and I'm not quite sure how to fix that amplifier. I want to go back and I want to place a call back to the headquarters and tell them, hey, we have an amplifier engineer there that can help me through this step or this procedure. Well, I'll do that, but I don't need to get down off the tower and get my phone out and get all myself, you know, this and that, try to remember what the guy said and get back up there. I can literally in situ, as I'm looking at that amplifier, call a guy back at the headquarters, a thousand miles away, show him through use of the big 16 megapixel camera that we've got uh, on this particular uh, HMT1, hmm. see what I'm seeing, look where I'm looking, like a first person shooter, like you're playing you know, the engineer's version of Call of Duty or something like that. You see exactly what the guy's looking at, and you're coaching them through whatever sorts of steps or procedures you want them to do. So, hey, no, no, that third wire on the left there, unplug that one first. Okay, you see those four hooks? And not only that, you can use that little microscope screen that the guy's looking at up on the tower to circle things with your, with your mouse on, on your laptop back at headquarters. So you're circling. No, I'm talking about that wire there, guy. What are you you're going after mm. the wrong one? And so all of that sort of remote collaboration, which you'd typically be more familiar with using your uh, FaceTime or Skype or something like that, you've got this little wearable computer that turns you into kind of this um, uh, connected worker, if you will. That's cool. And that's the, that's the number one application that we find. Now, simple stuff works too, though. You know, let's record video. It's a handless, wireless, you know, hands-free camcorder, you know, a very high powerful image stabilized camcorder. You can just record yourself doing work for video closeout, or I want to take a photo of this to document it and show that back to my uh, safety director that I actually took, you know, did the steps correctly or whatnot. Um, and then ranging all the way clear up to like serious IIoT stuff, like in industrial internet of things stuff, like, hey, instead of having to call back to the control room to see what the pressure, temperature, and specific, uh, specific gravity is of this particular tank, I just want to see it, and it knows where I'm at. It uses different sorts of uh, localization techniques, either Wi-Fi, triangulation, GPS. Just depending on what localization technique you're using, it knows where you're standing. It knows what you're standing in front of, and it can start to give you the information that that tank uh, that you would typically have that tank. Like that's here's the level, here's the temperature. I typically, you know, yesteryear need to call back to a control room to get that kind of information. So the power of wearing a computer, a fully functional computer. Is, is cannot be understated. I mean, it is absolutely improving things like productivity, safety, passive knowledge transfer as folks are retiring, boomers are retiring, millennials are coming up to speed. It's bridging those two worlds through connectivity and this, this knowledge transfer and these types of applications. What about um, some additions to it, you know, like a laser pointer? So if I'm talking to, you know, the home base, and I say, you know, look at this. And I, I don't even want to use my hands, but I want to use this, you know, let's say a laser pointer and I can move my head and the laser pointer will point at something, you know, very specifically, maybe even something far away. You guys have Absolutely. something like that in the works. Yeah, we, we have a whole bunch of things like that. I'll even give you one that might be a little bit cooler, cooler sounding to you. So we're, we're partnered up with a company called FLIR and FLIR does these um, mm -hmm. uh, thermal thermal cameras, right? So we have two USB ports 
on the back of the system. So you have two different ports that you can attach uh, accessories that need power or accessories that need connectivity. You can, of course, connect through Bluetooth and other sorts of things that you would on a typical tablet. But you can take that clear camera, and we've already done this, and you clip it to the outer edge of it. Now you have another camera that you've added as an accessory. You plug that into the USB port, and now you're looking uh, in thermal vision. You've got predator vision, if you will. So you're looking down at that little display, and you can look at an electric box and see if that box is hot. Is it cold? Is this water pipe a hot water pipe? Is it a cold water pipe? You can see things like that and begin to make uh, decisions or, or evaluate things that might be going wrong or broken. And, and that's just one thing. A razor pointer, absolutely. That's a great idea. I haven't, we haven't done that one yet, but that's not a bad idea at all as far as collaboration okay. goes. Interesting. Any other, um, uh, you know, what's coming this year? Uh, what other additions or changes do you have to the device? Well, we have uh, two versions of the device coming out this year. The first model is our regular rugged model, and that rugged model will be uh, certifiable uh, to up. It will include the certifications, I should say, of the, the military standard 810G, which has a whole bunch of standards associated with it, like salt fog and, and uh, humidity and stuff like that. It will be completely waterproof and dustproof. It will have um, uh, a drop test performed on it from two meters down onto concrete. So it'll be an ultra-rugged device. Um, And with all of that, um, you get a great big battery and all the other stuff that I talked about. So that device there is called the HMT-1. Later in the year, so towards December, we'll be releasing the second product, which is an HMT-1 Zone 1. That particular device is going to be ATEX Zone 1 Division 1 compliant, which means that you can bring this electronic device into highly potential explosive and dangerous environments in most of the time, oil and gas refineries, but in some cases, chemical plants or mining and stuff like that. And there in those types of work conditions, you're required to go through this ultra high standard of qualification in order to allow electronics into the space. The second version, which is coming out in December of this year, will have all of those certifications as well. So we've got one version that, that will be just rugged and, and very, you know, work in a whole bunch of different places like retail or, or uh, energy or nuclear power plants and things like that. And then we've got a second version that will be oil and gas certified at the ATEX Zone 1 Division 1 standards. And then beyond that, we've got all kinds of stuff that really exciting stuff because, you know, when, when you look at the space of wearables, especially head-mounted computing, you're absolutely we're absolutely bound, I believe, by the lack of a robust user interface. The user interface is what I think was the downfall of Google Glass. I don't think it was how it looked. I don't think it was the industrial design. I think it was the user interface. And the right user interface for head-mounted computers is voice. But we just have to get voice correct. And Realware has gotten voice correct. So beyond menu-driven voice commands and that sort of thing, we are evolving into a natural language system. So we'll have artificial intelligent uh, language detection that we'll have up in the cloud and then also local onto the device that allows you to drive the device or interact with your environment, your industrial environment, by way of uh, talking. You know, so you come up to a pump and the pump goes, 
uh, hey, Rich, how you doing today, buddy? And you go, oh, hey, Mr. Pump. He's like, what's your problem, Mr. Pump? Well, I got a bearing that's too noisy. Can you, you know, do maintenance procedure six, seven, eight? And here, I'll just push it to you right now and show you what that procedure is. Or if you need a video, I've got Jim doing a video of it a couple days ago. You can watch that video. So that'll be, I mean, of course, being a little bit comical for, for the radio show here, but it, yeah. it will be equivalent to that where you're having conversations with the equipment. And they're, an important thing is, pushing information to the user versus the user having to dig and pull information. So we are on track to develop more and more and more functionality in the software and the hardware space that lends itself to this very natural way of engaging uh, uh, with computers, you know, as kind of a future, you know, in the future, we'll all be cyborgs. I mean, some people argue we're cyborgs today, carrying around our phones. It's like an extension of us, those smartphones we yeah. have in our left hand. And in the future, we're going to be cyborgs. We're going to look like cyborgs. We're going to have this HMT1 sticking off the side of our head, and we'll be talking to it all day long, and people will, you know, from 20 years ago will go, what the hell is going on? <laughs> What's going on with these this workforce out here now? Um, but, but we're excited about it, and I'm telling you, the, the workforce is excited about it. Even all the way up to the unions, they're excited about it. They're excited about a new age of technology mixing with the ultra high um, uh, caliber folks that are coming out of high schools and everything else like that, that choose not to go to college. And there's a big movement of folks that want to go into the trades again, that are happening. And by equipping these, these young men and women at this type of device encourages them to go into the trades because now they're not going into a trades to swing a hammer or turn a wrench. They've got devices and technology that they are used to using that they love to use that they've grown up using, and they're applying that now to work. And so we've had, just like I said at the beginning, an overwhelmingly excited sort of um, response across the board and enterprise and different sorts of organizations like the unions. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hmm. Um, how robust is the uh, is the device? You know, what if something falls on it and hits it? Or, I mean, is it, uh, you know, what about battery life and all that? And sure, sure. So, it? Absolutely. So the battery life, it's a, it, for those techies out there, it's a 3,300 milliamp per hour battery. It's made by a, a, a very, a very well-known battery company called Totex, which does military-grade uh, space batteries. They do medical batteries. So it's a very, very high-quality battery uh, that lasts a whole shift. So that's going to last between 8 to 12 hours of, of use, depending on your usage patterns. If you use a lot of camera, it's going to last a little less. If you do not as much camera, it's going to last a lot longer time. So, so it's got about eight to 12 uh, hours of use. It's hot swappable. So you can pull the battery out and stick another one in without turning off the device or anything like that. Cause it has a little miniature battery on board. It's compliant. Like I said earlier to the 810 uh, G military specification, we drop test each one in three different axes onto concrete. So you could smash that thing down onto the ground. The device is we have a partnership with a hard helmet company called MSA, MSA. Uh, we have, uh, or we're, uh, we haven't completed it yet, but we're in the process with MSA of going through their whole battery of Z89.1 and Z87.1, which are the hard helmet and safety glasses standards, uh, ANSI standards. And they're going through that whole battery of testing with this device affixed to their mannequin head and the helmet. So they're going through that whole battery of tests. So everything about what we do at RealWare is designed to be 100% uh, integratable, if that's a word, integrated into enterprise, and enterprise has more than just cool tech as what they need. 
They need to be OSHA compliant. It needs to be rugged, as you point out. It needs to be waterproof. It needs to have all of these different certification standards. It needs to be secure. It needs to be able to work with mobile iron or AirWatch or some of these other MDM tools that are out there. All of these things need to happen simultaneously in the device, and the device needs to be cool technology that's very beneficial from a productivity, safety, and knowledge transfer type of an aspect. So you got to have all of it, right? And for folks that are out there building tech right now, that they want to go into enterprise, I would caution the heck out of them to be very, very careful when you're thinking about using a tool for the wrong application of the tool, no matter how cool it looks. And I'll give you one example of this. And I'm not going to mention who who this is, and I'm not going to say much about it. But I will say this because I can 100% confidently say it because it's on their website. So I was at a, an event not too long in the, long ago where a, um, a company that does vehicles, I'm not going to say what kind of vehicles, they build vehicles, though. they build and sell and, and maintain and operate vehicles, had built an application that basically, very cool application, by the way, let, let me just say that, it was an amazing application. What it was, was a Microsoft HoloLens that would sit on the head of the driver of the vehicle and allow the vehicle to have virtual controls. So virtual controls to move this thing, to put the air conditioning on, to do this, to do this. Everything was virtual controls. And it would all be driven through use of this command and control computer called the Microsoft HoloLens. Well, if you go to Microsoft HoloLens's website, you look at the product literature. Right there in the product literature, it states, do not use this device while operating a vehicle. And so what struck me as just completely odd is that they go so far as to say, don't use it in hazardous conditions, don't use it on stairs, don't use it in low-hanging ceilings, and don't use it in ve- absolutely don't use it in vehicles. And to, for me to see a potential vehicle manufacturer trying to build an application around a device that cautions the manufacturer not to use it in a vehicle. Now, I don't think they were intending to scale with the device or with this application. I think it was a proof of concept. So, you know, it wasn't that bad. I'm not saying that. But what it strikes home to your listeners and, and to people out there in the technology spectrum, the tech, they call themselves technologists, that want, apply, want to apply technology in this very ripe, very large, very, very um, uh, you know, capital-rich environment of enterprise and industry, you have to know more than just about technology. You have to know about how technology safety works, how technology, uh, how, how the industry safety works these agencies and these organizations and security and IT and all of these other requirements that folks that aren't as experienced in those spaces really have had no experience with. And so, and so where I come in is that I started my life in maintenance, repair, and operations of big nuclear power plants in the Navy. So I was a nuclear engineer. I was an enlisted reactor operator. Then I was a officer in the Navy for a number of years. And I learned MRO my very first, you know, step out of the door, out of my house. I was 19 years old, inside of nuclear power plants on submarines and big aircraft carriers and things like that. And so I got the idea and the information first about safety and OSHA and Navy, naval uh, reactor standards and all the different things that are required for anything to work, any tool to work in that ecosystem. Folks that haven't had that experience and don't have that background come at it a little bit naively, if you ask me. And oftentimes, I'm actually even consulted on to give them information on how they can apply to this use case or that use case or this use case. But that's a very important point and just as important as how cool the technology is. Just a couple of questions left. 
I could see you're really passionate about stuff. That's great. Um, any <laughs> possible underwater applications where someone could use this, you know, outside of a diver's mask or as part of it, you know, firemen, could they have it as part of their mask, maybe in the bottom corner? Um, any other applications yeah. for industrial uses? Absolutely. So, so there's a cool video. If you're, if your listeners want to look it up, it, it, this, the system and my team uh, derive as a spin out to our number one partner called Copen. Okay. So Copen built a device years ago, like a decade ago called the golden eye system. And they continue to iterate and improve that device over a 10 year period. And that team is now my team, the team that engineered and, and, and created the golden eye uh, now, for the most part, the has become the RealWare core engineering R&D team. And so they've taken all of those lessons and experiences. And the reason why I bring up COPA now at this particular question, it seems a little odd, is that they have a very cool video on the go- of the golden eye being used in conjunction with a firefighter on a firefighter mask. Now, the, for us to be able to pivot this into uh, firefighting or in the military on aircraft carriers, they use something called a cranial and the cranial is a lot different looking than a hard helmet. So for us to be able to pivot and, and, and with agility uh, make this useful or make this compatible with things like cranials or firefighter helmets or uh, police officer bomb, um, um, uh, what's it called, uh, uh, bomb squads or uh, riot police and things like that, it's an extremely easy effort on our part because we've made it an extreme. We've engineered from the ground up this to be a very modular system. So, um, yeah, so I, I, so the answer is absolutely a resounding yes. Um, obviously, each helmet has its own little idiosyncrasies. How do you bolt it? How do you keep it compatible with other PPE? But for the most part, absolutely, we'll, we'll be able to um, uh, either give you uh, devices that adapt, kits that adapt it to these different form factors, or we'll have uh, fully owned individual products that will be purpose-built for things like uh, military uh, enlisted men working on airplanes and stuff like that. Okay. Well, very good. Um, last question. So what's the best way for uh, potential customers to find out more about your devices and see them and maybe watch videos and them being used and where do they go? All right. So, you know, the, the, the classic answer, realware.com, R-E-A-L-W-E-A-R.com, realware.com. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different information on, on the line there. You can sign up for a, a beta unit by, uh, 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 type in sales at realware.com. Uh, if they want to go uh, order a beta unit, uh, just get in touch with someone there. You'll get uh, within 12 hours, you'll get a response. And uh, the beta units are, are $2,500. We've sold several hundred of them already. Uh, um, and so you can get, get onto that list and get a unit delivered in the next two, two weeks or so. So it's a pretty quick turn right now. Then we'll be in full rate pr- production of these devices. So thousands and thousands of them will be building uh, come in the end of July and the beginning of August, and we start delivery there. And those will drop the price then down to more kind of commiserate to what a standard Android tablet is going to cost. So single unit quantities will be in and around $1,500. And then as you scale up and you're actually deploying the, the device in, in situ or in the field, uh, you know, you're going to drop quickly down to around $1,000 a piece or something like that. So we've priced it to be equivalent to an industrial tablet price because that's what it is. It's just hands-free versus hand-driven, and uh, and yeah, and so I, I'm looking for and and feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or or I, yeah, I've got a Twitter uh, account and all those things. Andy Lowry at Andy Lowry. So any which way you want to communicate with me, I, I'm more than happy to uh, uh, talk about realware, as you can tell from this interview. <laughs> 
yeah, one definitely. of my favorite well, things to do in life. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, it's better than being boring and, you know, talking in gobbledygook. You know, we want, I always am trying to find terms people can understand, clear language and passion makes it interesting. Otherwise, what's the point of interviewing? So no worries. You Absolutely. did great. And I, I appreciate you coming. Absolutely. You know, thanks. Thanks so much. All right, Rich. Yeah, thank you, Rich. I really appreciate the invite, and uh, I look forward to keeping in touch. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.